Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Earlier this year, Canada became the country with the largest economy in the world to legalize marijuana. But it's California, a state with a population of more than 40 million people, which is really the ground zero of the cannabis economy. On this week's BOF podcast, we meet two innovators in the cannabis space who are bringing a sophistication in branding, design, and marketing that has taken the cannabis industry in a whole new direction, running businesses that have been described as the Hermes of marijuana and the supreme of marijuana. After a career in fashion at Theory, Diesel, Dolce & Gabbana, and the Ukes Group, Clement Kwan has gone full circle back to marijuana. He is now using his experience in fashion as the co-founder of Bebo, a lifestyle cannabis brand which produces high-end vaporizers and edible pastilles and caters to design-savvy professionals. Clement also introduced me to his friend Mario Sherbinsky. Mario is a world-renowned cannabis breeder and founder of the premium cannabis and lifestyle brand Sherbinsky's, headquartered in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Mario is known for his cultivation expertise and for developing one of the most celebrated phenos of modern-day marijuana history, the gelato strain. Here's Clement Kwan and Mario Sherbinsky at Voices 2018 in conversation with Nick Blunden, BOF's Chief Commercial Officer. I can't tell you how excited I am to be sitting on the stage with these two gentlemen for this conversation about the cannabis economy. Imran gave uh, a great introduction, and we do have two absolute pioneers of the cannabis uh, economy sitting with us here. And it feels to me, and Imran alluded to this, that we're at an inflection point in the history of cannabis, in the cannabis story. 2018 seems like a time when a lot has changed. Uh, Legalisation of recreational marijuana in California, opening up a huge market. Canada as well as a potential opportunity. And Imran alluded to both of you that you have stories that brought you to this point. So before we talk about the big opportunity, which people have talked about as being a gold rush or a green rush, I want to ask you both just to take us back and tell us how you got here. So, Mario, start with you. Um, you've been in the cannabis business for a while, but talk to us about how you've got to this point, the journey that you've been on. Um, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to speak in front of all of you and share my energy with all of you. Uh, I feel tremendously blessed. I feel like uh, cannabis has its rightful place um, here, and I'm here to carry the flag. And so I think... Um, to bring how it all connects to fashion. And you gotta go back to you know, my journey with plant medicine. It started where I'm from, in California, born and raised. Uh, I happened as an adult, most of my adult life I spent in San Francisco. Uh, moved to the big city for opportunity. I was actually a real estate agent by trade. But during this time, um, in the mid 90s, uh, the AIDS epidemic was, um, was a huge problem. And uh, it was already been going on, you know, since the 80s, but they were still searching for um, answers. And, uh, you know, at this time, there was a gentleman named Dennis Perrone, a gay man uh, from San Francisco. He was a local street dealer, really, but he was part of the political movement um, since Harvey Milk and a lot of the, the, the movement in San Francisco. So he had a, his boyfriend was dying of AIDS and, um, you know, when he gave him weed, he could sleep better at night, he could eat food. Um, it improved his quality of life. And so he, what he did was he um, got involved politically and he went to the legislation and said, came from a very wholesome place and he said, listen, I'm nobody. My boyfriend, when I, when I give him weed, he can sleep, he can eat. He, it improves his quality of life. Doctors should have the right to prescribe this to their patients. People like myself should be able to grow and provide this medicine to people. 
It's not about laws, it's about what's right. And, and so through that compassion, um, the, the um, Compassionate Health Act was um, passed. 54% of the people of California, the voters, voted that this should be law. And so that began, uh, began the political framework for me. Um, subsequently, a few years later, um, they passed SB 420, and that gave the structure uh, for legally how people like myself who, you know, I'm a real estate agent, agent by trade, but at this time, I saw this emerging cannabis business, and I thought with a few of my friends, I met with my lawyer, and I said, so I can legally do this? And they said, yeah, you can legally do this. And so we were the pioneers in this. And if you go full circle where the legalization is going, I think over how many states are? 30. So there's 30 states now that are legal. And so um, I forget who was speaking but, um, earlier, but my friend here about uh, the grassroots efforts, about how it starts with one state and then it goes to many states. And then even if everyone says, yeah, cannabis should be legal, there's this long road. So it started with that. I started growing. Um, started in my garage in my house in San Francisco in the Sunset District. Um, you'd have like the flat on the bottom, which is your garage, and then on top you'd have your home. So many people thought, well, I could build my little room. I can start a little business. And um, a lot of brands started emerging. A lot of people started growing. And for me, a lot of people went to the streets. I wanted to get involved with these legal dispensaries. A lot of the people I was involved with were going to dispensaries. And so to fast forward, I took my backpack with my first little crop. I went down to Haight Street, the iconic Haight Street in San Francisco. There was a small dispensary, a gentleman named um, uh, Martin Olive, small little five foot three guy, long beard. Um, I came into the Vapor Room, which is now an iconic, famous uh, dispensary, one of the first ones in, in the nation. And I went in and I said, what do you think of this? And he goes, you grow this? And I said, yeah. He goes, this is amazing. And so it, through Martin, I learned compassion. At first, it was about money. It quickly, when I would come in frequently throughout the year now, and people would get my medicine, and people would come up to me and say, sir, when I smoke your medicine, I can sleep at night. I run a business. I do think I can't get rest. Thank you. I'm like, wow, that touched me. And then people in a wheelchair, my mobility is so much better. I can stand now, and there's things that are, um, you're improving me with medicine. So long story short, it, that was when... I learned about compassion and I decided to dedicate my life to this plant. And so when I did that, people talk about when you sort of change your mind and there's a shift. The shift happened and all of my energy went to helping people. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to live, what's worth living? Worth living is when you can look back and you gave more than you took. And, and I saw this opportunity with this plant. And so as I started to create, um, I started breeding with some of my friends in San Francisco. There's a famous uh, strain around the world called Girl Scout Cookie, which is um, globally really took over the whole game. Um, it started in California and then ended up in Southern California, then went to Amsterdam, Spain, all around the world. So I started breeding with this, with this group called the Cookie Family. And, and what they did, we started making these treats. And so I'm from the Sunset District and we made the Sunset Sherbert. That was my first strain that I really worked with that, that went global. And it was sort of like my record. If you look like a musician, I made a record. As that spread throughout the world, it touched people. And people started to come up to me. I have PTSD. Thank you. I, it's helping me so much. And things like this, is, is, it goes 
it takes a complete shift in the energy and what I want to do to help people. So I kept on breeding these different strains. And what I have on my back is, you know, my records, my strains, the, the, my contributions to the world. And each strain, strain by strain, it started to have a different effect on people. Um, they would kind of pick and choose like a medicine cabinet. And, um, you know, next thing you know, rappers are rapping about it. Um, people are writing about it, photography, art, food. Because cannabis is connected to all walks of life, fashion. Um, if you look back, you know, I'm, I'm 42. In the 80s, Run DMC, um, Beastie Boys, you know, and it was the Shell to Adidas that brought attention to the culture and fashion. And maybe you couldn't um, afford a nice leather jacket, but you can afford a $15 pair of Adidas. So, um, you know, kind of fast forwards to the strains being popular and, and really me working with different brands to kind of give, share a little bit about what I've been able to do. And, and when I met Clement, um, you know, he, he got it. And he saw the connections and sort of that bridge um, on, uh, and in his luxury brand, I always felt like if I have the best strains in the world, I can't come out with anything less. If I'm gonna, because I'm a flower brand, a cannabis brand, if we're gonna come out with some sort of fashion, it has to be high end, it can't be something. And so a lot of people were making comparisons with, with can't, my brand with Supreme. And so I always, we always looked at each other, we have different lanes, you know, it's, and that's why we became great friends and we support each other. And, um, I'm going to be creating the, the Bebo strain for, for Bebo. So we're proud to announce that here today. So. Fantastic. What I love about this industry, and, and you're the epitome of this, is the passion that people have for the product. And you've got that passion as well, Clement. You, but you came, and Imran alluded to this, but I've got to unpack that story a little bit more. So yeah, but tell, after, us, but tell us your story. Yeah, but after Joy, I had this whole like refined thing, like here's my story. But you know what? Fuck all that. I'm just going to tell you. I actually was a gang member um, in East LA. I was a cholo for until I was 17 years old, and um, thought I was Mexican till I was 17 years old. Um, luckily, you know, survived that. Gradu uh, you know, decided to go to Davis to become a veterinarian because I was like, I grew up in the inner city. Why not go to the countryside? And being here actually gives me PTSD because I had to. <laughs> milk a cow, castrate sheep. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? So what I did was I moved down to Berkeley and like any good Asian kid, I was like, doctor, lawyer, banker. I'm like, I'm gonna be a banker. So I enrolled at Haas and started studying uh, corporate finance. Um, graduated by the kind of grace of God <laughs> and um, became an investment banker. Did two years at, in the Silicon Valley from 2000 to 2001. Um, tech market exploded, and I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I gonna do now? And, and I grew up with a single mother, and my single mother you know, didn't have family or friends when she divorced my father. She took me shopping. She, you know, I, went, I was her ballroom dance partner. Um, and when she took me shopping, she asked me questions like, does this look good on me? What colors do you like? Do you like this cut? And I'm like, wow, I actually like fashion. So after the tech market exploded, I went to New York from the Silicon Valley 
and begged this guy named Andrew Rosen for a job. And he's like, dude, what do you want to do in fashion? You're a banker. And he, I said, I just want to learn. I love fashion. He's like, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to bring lunch to people like Avril Oates in the, in the showroom. Um, you're going to be the fit model. And then I did that for a year, paid my dues, then went to Diesel, repositioned the brand. Um, seven years with D&G, Dolce Gabbana, and then I was a president of Ukes, uh, Ukes working for Federico Marchetti. And what, what I learned in this entire sort of pivot from one thing to the next was that I was always in survival mode. I was never thriving. I never really sat back and thought, wait, what do I really love? And I had this secret inside of me that I was holding where I was shameful of it, which was I grew a lot of marijuana when I was at school. And I paid, I mean, I met a hippie uh, in Berkeley. I was buying like ounces from him to sell to, you know, just make ends meet. And then one day he's like, hey, Clement, you're never going to make any money like selling marijuana. This is 1997. And I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Um, so I went down into his basement. He had a whole hydroponic setup. And he's like, I'm going to teach you how to grow marijuana but you have to give me your first harvest. So I'm like, all right, that's awesome. Um, I rented a one-bedroom apartment in a luxury doorman building, so no one knew what was, I was doing. I took the doors off the closets. It was a 10 by 10 foot space. I bought lights. The hippie gave me the clones, which, you know, you do very well. I, in 62 days, I harvested six pounds. The hippie's like, give me my weed. I gave him the weed. And from there, I learned how to grow. But what I started doing was I started teaching other people how to grow. But instead of just taking the first harvest, I took 50% of the business. <laughs> I do it. Um, so what I learned in all of this was that I love the plant. Like, the plant is a beautiful thing, both for medicine and for recreation. And that was what I was passionate about. Um, and then I got stuck on a boat with Imran and Casey Gerald, and I never told this story to anybody. I told it to them, and they're like, dude, quit your job. You got to do this. You got to do this. And that was kind of my sort of day of reckoning, where I was like, I'm going to move from survival mode to thriving. And I think this is about marijuana, which I love, but that is the message that I'd like to say. Thriving is good. You know, you don't always have to be in survival mode. And, you know, after everything happened, I had to sit down with Federico Marchetti, tell him, like, hey, this is what's up. I'm going to do a marijuana brand. <laughs> I'd <laughs> love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. And, and you know, like, the first uh, person that supported was Joanne Wilson. She gave me my first, you know, seed funding. And that two years later, we are you know, we're, we're doing well. And um, the New York Times called us Hermes of Marijuana. Um, and I just want to, can I just, because you've both, you've, you've talked about the sort of, the stories of how you got here. And there's a lot that connects you together, your friends, your partners in, to some extent. But you're taking a slightly different approach. You're the, the, uh, the Hermes, of the, Hermes of, um, of the marijuana business. It's a really interesting reflection on the fact that you are, positioning Bebo in the luxury space, right? And that's a really interesting insight. You talked to me earlier about why that part of the market, why that approach? Well, I don't know anything else. I mean, I worked at Dolce, then, you know, Ukes and Net-a-Porter, 
I only understand that type of discerning consumer. So when Scott Campbell and I, my co-founder, wanted to create something, we're like, let's just do something that's beautiful and low dosage and not talk about a lot of the medicinal properties and things like that because, you know what, a shiny object speaks volumes. And that's when you can start the conversation with people. And I think our advocacy is through our branding, our packaging, our product. And then you'll ask, hey, what's inside? How is it grown? Et cetera, et cetera. So this is our soapbox for advocacy. And that's why we have done it the way we have. Great. And Mario, yours is a slightly different approach. It's the, the, supreme, the supreme comparison is interesting. Um, you know, you did, I think you were the first people or you were the uh, first cannabis brand to be at ComplexCon, for example. Yeah. Um, but also there's a big focus on developing strains as part of your kind of approach, looking at those through the different properties they have and what problems they can help solve. So tell us a little bit about that, because it's a different, slightly different spin on it, right? Well, you know, being that, that it's been federally legal in the United States, research into cannabis has been so limited. It's been left up to people like me in garages and warehouses throughout the United States to study the effects of these plants. So literally, we're the gatekeepers of the genetics. I take it very seriously. It's a spiritual thing. Um, we're dealing with people like Monsanto, um, corporation, corporate money that's coming in, and, and they have to face me. They have to face the reality that, no, no, no. You know, you, you might have all the money, but where are you going with this? Who are you about? What kind of people you are? And so, because development of genetics is always something that is important. Um, say, for example, um, the endocannabinoid system that is in all of our bodies is part, part of our neurological um, system. It goes throughout all of our organs. It's, we, it wasn't discovered um, until, in the, until the 90s that this was part of our, our, our biology. And so we have receptors in our body that only are there for cannabinoids. And cannabinoids come from these plants. And so when you realize that there's a, a, we have a genetic connection with plants and you start to understand plant medicine, and, and I love what I've been hearing. You know, I, I came here expecting something much different, but there's so, so many things connected with what we're speaking of today um, and, and how fashion is connected. So the, it, the thing is, it's just even in fashion, music, anything, you always have to create. You always, and it's all about the, um, you know, moving forward, like with the vision of, of where this should go. Um, I see the future on where this is going. I saw it 10, 15 years ago, and I see um, where this is going to go with all of you. And and your important part when you talk about helping people, and I've dedicated my life to help people. There's no place I won't go. There's nothing I won't say to for that mission in life. And. And when we talk about shiny objects, you know, for me, you think of like Tiffany and they're blue. When you see the Tiffany blue, you know that's Tiffany. When you see my orange, you know that this is Sherbinsky's. And so I've, we've proven this. And what's interesting is I looked at Hermes and I thought, I really, I love what they've done. And, and when we did all of our, our research for branding, it was a little too dark. We didn't like, it just didn't, it had no soul. Cannabis isn't a leather bag, it's, it's magic. It's special. It's, it's something that's different. So um, again, through the branding and through fashion, um, someone might, it's the Trojan horse, as we were talking about earlier. It's like if we have a spiritual message of medicine and helping people, maybe that jacket you design, that someone walks by and they see that on someone and they go, what's that? And then they start, you, you draw them in through that, and then you're able to deliver this deeper, more meaningful message. And fashion is, is 
intimately connected with that. And so that's, that's why I fuck with it. That's why I, I see the connection. That's why we vibe and understand like, hey, this is part of it. This is cool. And it's something that we're interested in. So, and everybody I've shared that vision with, they connect with that. Yeah. And so I know that that's sort of the right way that we need to be going. So my final question for you both. Um, I talked in my introduction about an inflection point. Um, but of course, actually, with all the passion that you both have, it's still a difficult business to be in in some respects. Because although cannabis is legal um, in 10 states for recreational use at a federal level, still classed in the US as a Schedule One drug equivalent to heroin. Um, and there's a, bit of, you know, there's a bit of tension between those two things. So when you look forward, do you look at this moment and say, this is the beginning of a wave of legalization of cannabis around the world? Or do you look at it and say, there's still a lot of work to be done? Claire, what about you? How, how do you feel? Are you feeling optimistic about you know, the future for cannabis? I, I have to. I mean, it's, you're in it or you're not. Yeah. And you, you can't be in it just for the money. Like, this is my passion. We can make a billion dollars one day, but right now it's step by step. So, you know, being politically active on a local level with Gavin Newsom, uh, local councilmen, uh, working with UCLA's Cannabis Research Center, it's going to the MBA programs and preaching, like, I'm a Chinese person, I've gone through fashion, and now I'm doing cannabis. It's a viable career choice. So what we're trying to do is move the industry, not move capital or not make money. It's, it's about a movement. So I think that's why Mario and I get along so well, because it's the love of the plant, and there's no other industry where that's you can drives it all actually move something. There's no game plan. Like, you're literally making shit up as we go. And um, it's a beautiful thing. So very optimistic, but there's a lot of work just in uh, information, education, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Mario, one last word from I you. Just, I just wanted to say this. Some of you may be for or against cannabis. The one thing I'd like to say is at one point in our life, our fathers, our mothers, our, our sisters, our brothers, our family, ourselves, we're going to need medicine. And there's going to be choices to be made. And either you can go where the doctor, and especially Western medicine, they give you pills, they give you things that aren't going to fix you. Or you can go to a medicine that's integrated into our DNA that was meant for us. And whether it's something you put on your, your skin or something you eat, I just want you all to be open to the, the magic and the power of, of the plant.